You're tuned in to Energy Voices on CJSR. My name is Sean Collins, and I'll be the host of the next hour of programming. This month, we're going to have Meredith Adler, the Student Energy Executive Director, walk us through a very important topic in energy, which is distributed generation. Distributed generation has become an increasingly important topic because the model and the fundamental approach that we've taken to power generation in our society is changing. The traditional model of building large mega projects and running significant amounts of transmission and distribution infrastructure to connect those large projects to consumers is rapidly changing as new technology and new business models make it more and more cost effective to build smaller generation closer to where people are actually consuming their power and energy. To walk us through these topics, we have two guests today. We have Trish Nixon, who works for CoPower and is working at innovative financing models so that the average investor can participate more aggressively in these smaller scale projects by bundling significant amounts of these assets together. We're also gonna have Student Energy co-founder Janice Tran, who now works for Generate Capital out of San Francisco, to discuss the large scale macro trends in distributed generation and alternative energy investment opportunities. So without further ado, here's Meredith Adler interviewing Trish Nixon from CoPower. Hi everyone, this is Meredith Adler, the Executive Director of Student Energy. I'm back here on Energy Voices talking about one of my favorite topics, renewable energy and investment in it. So today with me, I have a great guest. Her name is Trish Nixon. Um, she's working out of Toronto, Canada, um, and she's the Director of Investments for CoPower. Hi Trish, how are you? Hi, I'm great Meredith. Thanks for having me. Great. We're so excited to have you. So can you tell me a little bit about who you are and what you do and, and what is CoPower? Yeah, absolutely. So CoPower is a clean energy investment firm, and we're focused on empowering investors and specifically individual investors, um, uh, average citizens, to participate in and profit from the transition to the low carbon economy. Uh, and so what that means um, is, uh, is we we lend to distributed clean energy projects. So these are solar rooftops, energy efficiency retrofits um, that are smaller than what mainstream institutions typically finance. And then we productize those opportunities. So we turn our loans into financial products that make sense for investors. Uh, and we're able to offer these investments to all Canadians via our online investment platform uh, at an accessible entry point. Cool, so that's really interesting. But how did you um, how did you get into this idea of, or how did you come to CoPower, and then kind of how did CoPower get into this idea that we needed another level at which people could invest in renewables? Yeah, sure, that's a really great question. Uh, so I'll start with my own story. Um, so I've been working in impact investing for most of my career for the past uh, six or so years. Um, and so for those who don't know, impact investing is uh, refers to uh, essentially investing in market-driven solutions to social and environmental challenges. Um, and, uh, and so uh, while working in this space, um, you know, working with investors, working with new products, um, working with, with social uh, entrepreneurs and ventures, uh, largely in the private market, um, what I really found was that the problem with scaling a lot of these solutions is that the investment opportunities weren't actually meeting most investors where they were at. So, you know, a lot of opportunities are direct investments in companies um, or investments in venture capital funds. They're often only available to ultra high net worth or institutional investors. 
And they're very, they're, they're hard to access. The market's very fragmented, um, uh, and they're not where investors usually are, which is, you know, at their, at their bank or with their financial institutions. Um, and so I was working at a, a, an innovation center in Toronto called Mars, Mars Discovery District um, when David and Raphael, the co-founders of CoPower, um, came to me as a client. Uh, and they were building um, a company um, that was solving for, you know, one of these key challenges. So their vision was really to bring together um, the opportunity uh, associated with distributed clean energy infrastructure um, and the financing gaps uh, with the demand for impact investment products from, uh, from all types of investors, but especially individual investors who have been largely locked out of the clean energy investment space and the impact investment space. Uh, and their vision to do so was, uh, you know, jumping on um, uh, on the trend and opportunity associated with online platforms and 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 fintech, uh, the growth of fintech. So you know, just as uh, as Airbnb or Uber uh, are are making hospitality and transportation options more accessible, um, online technology uh, has the ability to um, disrupt the investment industry and let people access new opportunities from wherever they are and for lower cost points. So. What we've done is bring together uh, those three trends to let Canadians invest in clean energy uh, in, a, in a product that makes sense for them from their kitchen table. So I think it's really interesting. You've thrown out a lot of different investing terms here around, around what's happening. So when you're talking initially about the clients that you used to serve with high net worth individuals, what type of products were that and what? kind of level of investment is it are we talking about you need a billion dollars to get into it or a million where 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 were people at in terms of if they could be doing these types of ethical investments yeah so you know there's there's certainly a range um uh and so without being you know uh, acknowledging that there's that there's absolutely a range um there's uh there's there's hurdles um for you know, private equity or venture capital funds that might be investing in uh, social purpose businesses, um, or even in private infrastructure funds, and those are normally only open to accredited investors, um, uh, which meet a certain level of net worth. Uh, in Canada, it's um, uh, five million in net assets or or a million in financial assets, um, and often you know the hurdles are even higher than that. So you know, investment minimums might be five hundred thousand or a million dollars. Uh, in a lot of these private uh, placements, mm-hmm. sometimes more, and it depends on the industry and what you're looking at. But certainly, um, you know, there might be smaller minimums as well for direct investments in, in companies. But uh, uh, but as a piece of your portfolio, you know, investing as an angel investor, you still have to have a a, a fairly sizable portfolio. So certainly for average individuals, for a lot of people working in these spaces, um, uh, there's That's a little unattainable. A lot of accessible opportunities and uh, and yet the demand and particularly um, you know from uh, millennials which uh, which uh, myself and my co-founders happen to fall into that category um, you know we get it we want to invest with our values we want to um, you know participate in things that we understand that we can believe in that we can see touch and feel um, and the the, the traditional um, uh, investment products just just haven't been just weren't meeting that that demand. Okay, and and that's interesting. So in terms of CoPower, who who do you see investing in your types of projects? Like what 
you know, at what level are people able to get in and, and who's drawn to to the types of investments that you offer? I was looking at your website and it looks like your portfolio includes some things like um, solar arrays on condo units and other kind of smaller things that are within kind of cities and, and in about a million to $3 million level for the project. So who are you, um, who are you attracting to those projects? Yeah, exactly. And so one of the things that we've done and that was important to do, and I mentioned, um, you know, previously that uh, invest, invest, impact investments obviously often don't look like what investors need or expect. Um, we knew from the get-go that, uh, you know, in letting individuals invest in specific projects wasn't a scalable way to uh, um, to build our business or and or to get as many uh, individuals participating as possible. So we're actually combining those loans. So when we go out and lend to things like energy retro efficiency retrofits in buildings um, that are backed by real assets, uh, generate steady revenues, um, we're then combining them into a portfolio uh, and, and we're structuring green bonds. So fixed, uh, fixed rate investments um, that are accessible to individuals at a $5,000 minimum. So they're still not as accessible as we'd like. Um, you know, we'd, we'd like to bring down that minimum investment uh, as we grow, as our technology becomes more and more efficient. Um, uh, but for now, they're a lot more accessible than the, you know, the 500 or 1,000 or million dollar uh, investment uh, that most alternative or private products um, might have. Interesting. So you're starting kind of, you're working your way down to be able to provide investment opportunities for the whole spectrum of people to get engaged. Um, yeah, and we're seeing, I mean, what we're seeing so far is there's, there's certainly, uh, I think about 45% of our investor base it, are millennials. Um, about another 40% are actually retirees or people nearing retirement. And so that's been really interesting to see that segment investing online and being, um, you know, motivated both by climate change and the legacy they're leaving behind, um, but also how they're looking at our specific financial product as uh um, you know, again, a, a private alternative that's good for their portfolio, that generates steady income, um, uh, and is a little bit different than what they're finding elsewhere. So, uh, so we're really kind of crossing the spectrum, but absolutely would like to, uh, to continue to make our products more and more accessible. Interesting. So you mentioned kind of people being interested in this because of, of kind of how they feel about climate change and different things, but then also the returns. So, I think you would fit into what people generally categorize as ethical investing. Can you explain or maybe even give your definition of what is ethical investing and kind of in, in terms of the returns, is it that people are, are taking a little bit of a hit compared to other investments or are there ways to, to mitigate that within ethical investing as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's a great question and there's not, uh, the answer is of course it depends. Um, but broadly, no, I don't think ethical investing, um, uh, means that you are giving up return. You know, investors traditionally think, uh, are when they make investment decisions, they're weighing risk and return. Uh, ethical investors are weighing risk, return, and impact. And those things can, you know, work together in a variety of ways. Um, and obviously, in an ideal scenario, um, you, you're looking at a market rate risk and return, and uh, uh, and, and the impact is, is bonus, or you're looking for it for impact first, and then you're finding a, a very competitive uh, risk return profile of the, pro of the product. Um, and so I think that absolutely exists. When you think about um, responsible investment funds, 
ESG analysis, being environmental, social, and governance analysis, a lot of those products are really about mitigating environmental, social, and governance risk. So it's an opportunity as much as it is, uh, you know, an ethical decision making. Um, there are certainly investors who will accept higher risk or potentially lower returns um, to achieve the impact they're, they're looking to achieve. Um, but I think we're seeing more and more products, and uh, you know, we like to think CoPower is one of them that's, that's offering very competitive uh, returns in terms of the, the product and where it fits in your portfolio um, by investing in uh, in opportunities that are that are created by this this need and this this opportunity to build a new economy, build a new low carbon economy. Yeah, I I would definitely agree. Um, I think it's really interesting actually, even looking at your different projects, things like LED retrofits, um, community solar projects. Um, these aren't these aren't things that we often think of as as investment opportunities, but it is but they are things that are crucial in terms of an energy transition and how we look at, you know, what the future of the world looks like and what the future of energy looks like. And, um, and speaking and for myself. And they're, and they're prof and you know, they're, they're, they're profitable. Um, you know, these are great projects that are, uh, are, you know, delivering steady revenues because they're selling clean power or they're, uh, they're generating real savings on your energy bill. Um, and so, uh, you know, there's 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 profit to be uh, to be made by investing in these types of opportunities. And when we when CoPower CoPower made a decision early on um, to focus on uh, you know lo the lower risk end of the product project finance spectrum uh, to match kind of the the risk return impact expectations that we felt was, were suitable for a retail investor. Um, and so that means our green bonds are backed by senior secured loans to projects that are already operating, that are already generating revenue, um, uh, and that are using proven technologies that, um, uh, you know, that, that, that are low-hanging fruit uh, of, uh, of this climate transition. Um, and so allowing people to participate in those opportunities is something that, um, uh, that isn't that common. We're not the first to do it. Uh, but there's not a lot of products out there, and we're seeing that in the demand um, that that we're receiving for for our products. So, uh, so we're really excited by the opportunity. And you know, we talk about um, we talk about empowering individuals uh, to invest in clean energy um, because that's really what we feel like we're doing. Our, our when investors come to us, um, you know, it's much less of uh, a conversation about why they should be investing in clean energy, and it's much more uh, the investors telling us they've been looking for this opportunity. They want to put their money towards these types of projects, um, and so uh, so that's that's really the position we're in, and it's uh, it's a very exciting place to be. And I think that leads really nicely into my next question: is that we, you know, in when you go to energy conferences, big energy events, you hear all the time that. You know, we don't necessarily need a ton of new technology. If we just had the capital behind the technology that's been invented, we would make great progress on the energy transition. And not to say that new technology isn't absolutely necessary, because obviously to make more progress it is. But in terms of kind of rallying capital behind these key things like energy efficiency, for instance. So, you know, LED projects very much are about saving energy rather than kind of creating new things. And it's been... 
I always say it's kind of hard to make energy efficiency the exciting thing. It's hard to say, you know, saving money on your power bill is, is the next big thing, but it's it's super important. So how do you, in co-power, I guess, see yourselves growing and see kind of how do you feel like we'll be able to recruit the capital necessary to make this transition happen at the rate we need, um, you know, to reduce carbon and avert climate change? using is it through mechanisms like yours or are there other pieces that you see kind of coming into this puzzle yeah it's absolutely both um and you know i would say um you know there's going to be there's a need for and there should be continued investment in uh new technologies but there is a lot of low-hanging fruit um and uh it's funny that you say that it's hard to make energy efficiency sound exciting because i would say that's the sector uh, that we're the most excited about at CoPower. Uh, you know, <laughs> there's, there's, so much, there's so much opportunity um, to reduce energy consumption, um, and it and the technology is there, uh, and it's about the business model innovation and financial innovation, and that's uh, you know that's that's the world in which we sit, uh, and we're really excited to uh, to help deploy more of these technologies uh, across North America. Um, you know, hopefully globally one day as we as we grow, um, uh, because because we do view it as you know there's huge opportunities. It's certainly low hanging fruit and it's very investable. And we love the idea of connecting uh, individuals and communities with smaller and individual uh, uh, smaller community scale projects um, to be able to literally invest in uh, the communities um, uh, that they where they live. Um, and, you know, just as they're working to reduce consumption in their own behavior, uh, their money can be working to reduce the, uh, the energy consumption uh, in our cities. Definitely. And I think, I mean, I think that that's really exciting, too, is being able to give people a local opportunity to invest. It's not some mutual fund that has a portfolio of companies you've never heard of. It's, um, it's you know, investing in your city and your home and your community and gaining returns and helping with a cause that you you passionately believe in it seems like kind of the ultimate triple win um from my perspective so how do you feel like in terms of you know recruiting more capital for an energy transition and for things like energy efficiency what are what are things that um people like yourselves like co-power need to to help grow faster to help be able to implement kind of all the ideas you have around new financial mechanisms for getting people engaged in these markets yeah, sure. So I think, and it goes back to, I think, what I was saying originally, but it's the productization. Um, uh, a lot of the types of investments that we're making are, uh, you know, they're not, they're, not, they're not small. They're not individual solar rooftops. They're portfolios of solar rooftops. Um, but we're lending in typically the, the $1 to $10 million range. Um, and so to scale quickly, we need to um, uh, be doing a lot of these deals. Uh, packaging them into great financial products and making them widely available. Uh, and so our online platform is our way to do that for people. Um, and it's absolutely working. We issued a $20 million green bond uh, on March 1st, and we sold out $2.5 million in a month with over 130 investors. Um, and so, you know, building on that momentum and I think continuing to get uh, in front of people and make sure they know we exist is important. Um, as is... Uh, um, as is becoming, um, you know, a, a larger player in the distributed clean energy market, so that uh, developers and engineers 
um, recognize that these types of financing solutions are available uh, and we can start to continue to aggregate these projects. As we do that and as we get bigger and bigger, we start to be able to get onto more mainstream uh, uh, investment product shelves. We have a lot of interest from financial advisors, from large institutions to be able to offer their products. Um, we need to reach a certain scale. We're starting to, uh, we're starting to get there, and uh, we are certainly working with advisors and, and working with, with some institutions right now, like Man City Credit Union and others that are, you know, are very aligned with what we're doing. Um, but, uh, uh, but, but, yeah, absolutely. I think that, that we need to, um, we need financial intermediaries that are good at both placing capital and, uh, and, and aggregating project finance opportunities so that we can get them into the hands of investors in a way that, uh, that makes sense for them. Interesting. And what role do you see kind of other actors playing in that? Is this mostly the, the financial system and the financial sector? Or do you think that kind of governments or maybe even communities and cities have a role to play in, in how, in oh, how yeah, accessible absolutely. these pieces are? I mean, I think everybody has a, has a role to play. Um, you know, the clean energy firms and engineering firms um, need to be thinking about how their uh, developers and engineering firms need to be thinking about how they're, um, you know, structuring their offerings to make them financeable. Um, municipalities and, you know, um, people within municipalities need to be, um, you know, demanding uh, and, and thinking of creative ways to change the way that their energy systems are structured. Um, you know, Jew Exchange is, a, is, is a, an old technology that's barely uh, scratched the surface in terms of being able to reduce energy spent on, on heating and cooling. Um, and so that's something that uh, uh, municipalities and, and the people within and, and homeowners as well can and should be thinking about. Um, uh, I think government has a has a role to play, um, obviously in funding innovation, but also in helping to make some of these projects more financeable. Um, so whether that's uh, taking on early risk or providing guarantees, um, because what we don't want to do at CoPower, for instance, is offer a financial product to individual investors that's really risky, because that's uh, you know that's not how how we want people to experience uh, you know participating in this. This, this transition, we want people to, um, we, so, so that therefore we have strict investment criteria that we have to adhere to. Um, mm -hmm. There's a need for lots of different types of capital uh, with lots of different types of risk profiles to accelerate um, the deployment of these technologies um, at, at different stages of either their technological, technological development or, um, you know, in different scenarios. Um, it's much easier to finance retrofits on a municipal-owned building where the municipality has a great credit rating than it is on, um, uh, you know, a small mom-and-pop shop that doesn't have a credit rating at all. And so if we can start to look at ways to, um, uh, to use different types of capital, government, philanthropic, um, or others to, uh, to de-risk uh, unique opportunities, there's a huge potential to bring in uh, massive amounts of capital. Excellent. Yeah, I think it's always important to say who has a role to play in, in making this capital happen. And I think it's really interesting that you have the full perspective of all the roles different people can play in kind of how much there is to do. Um, 
in the sector, clearly no lack of opportunity. Um, so one final question I had for you is, you know, a lot of our students at Student Energy are, are young and they're just either in university or, or just starting to graduate um, and have their first jobs. When you're in that position and first starting to look at investments, often, you know, if you are looking at investments at such a young age, you're going to a financial advisor and getting into kind of the easiest thing you can do. But what would be your suggestion for people who are just starting out either in their careers or trying to get into a market of some kind? Yeah, no, that's a really, really great question. And that's, as I say, that's why, you know, we recognize that $5,000 is accessible compared to a lot of products, but it's not accessible to everyone. And, and we'd love to uh, to continue to drive down that entry point. But um, I, uh, but there's absolutely, you know, places you can go and things you can do. So um, number one, consider a credit union um, uh, as a place to even have a savings account. Credit unions invest uh, locally within their communities, um, they're not investing um, in the same way. Your savings aren't being used in the same way as they are at a bank. Um, so, so, uh, so you know, opening an account at a local credit union is you know a, a first simple step. Um, looking at uh, socially responsible uh, investment funds or responsible investment funds that are at least taking into consider uh, ESG. Um, you know, there's there's lots of them out there that. Are um, uh, have lower minimums. There's you know clean energy ETFs. Um, Eco Capital is a great one out of the U.S. Um, and you know there's others. AGS here in Canada uh, has a has a fossil fuel free mutual fund. So there's there's certainly options um, for investing in the public markets at an accessible entry point um, in you know in more responsible uh, investment funds. Um, and then you know, keep an eye out in your, the communities where you are for things like community bonds or uh, um, solar cooperatives, for example, uh, that, that might allow you to participate. It's not as easy as it is to walk into your financial institution. You have to do a little bit more homework. It's a little bit different depending on where you are. Um, but at very least, one thing that everybody should be doing when they walk into their bank is asking what they have in terms of responsible or ethical investments, because the more that uh, clients can demonstrate demand, the more the institutions will be forced to start to think about how to get these types of products on their shelf and to their clients that want them. Um, so that would be my, uh, my number one thing is make sure you're asking your advisor how you can invest uh, in a sustainable way or in a way that aligns with your, your values. Awesome. That's excellent advice. Um, so is there anything else you'd like to tell us about CoPower or about renewable investing while we have you? Well, I think just in the in the words of uh, of our uh, our the president of our neighbor to our south, uh, it's going to be huge. <laughs> no matter, maybe not maybe not specifically uh, the context in which he'd like to use that, but uh, no, I think you know the transitions underway, the opportunities um, uh, are going to only increase. So again, uh, you know, make sure you're keeping an eye out for how you can participate, um, and thinking about what your money's doing while you're sleeping is a is a good way to begin. Um, you know, make sure that that uh, that you're investing your own assets in the same way that you choose to live your life. Awesome, that's great advice. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really excited to hear about CoPower, and can't wait to see what comes next from all of you. Great. Well, thanks so much for having me, Meredith. Thanks, Trish. Have a good one.
Student Nerds, we're back, and this is Meredith Adler once again. I'm the Executive Director of Student Energy, and I'm really excited about our next guest, who is actually one of the co-founders of Student Energy. Her name is Janice Tran. Um, she currently joins us on the board, but in addition to everything she does for our organization, she also works with Generate Capital, investing in all types of distributed energy. Hey, Janice, welcome to the show. Hey, everyone. Thanks, Meredith. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, talking about the wonderful world of investing in distributed energy resources. So, yeah, happy yeah. to join you. Great. Um, so, for those of us who don't know you as well as I do, could you tell us a little bit about <laughs> who you are and kind of what you do and, and what is Generate Capital? So, uh, so Generate Capital, we're, we're based in San Francisco, California, which is uh, where I live um, currently. And um, so we're a small boutique investment shop uh, here. We invest primarily in, in the United States and in North America. Um, and our you know, investment thesis is uh, trying to find solutions to the resource revolution. So. Basically, our, our um, concept is that there's a lot of money to be made by doing more with less. So today's, in today's um, uh, environment, there are many resources that are constrained. So if you look at like energy and food and water, um, there's more efficient ways that, can, um, can util- that you can utilize these uh, resource- resources. So, for example, um, you know, we can use energy more efficiently or we can look at alternative ways of using energy, whether that's through you know, renewable energy. Um, same can be done with food and water. Um, so basically our, our investment kind of thesis focuses on, um, on on that aspect. And we finance infrastructure. So uh, basically that's um, different than, say, you know, corporate equity where, where uh, you know, some, some companies invest in the actual um company themselves, we invest in the projects. So, uh, you know, that makes us a little bit different than kind of the other finance shops out there on the market. And um, I'm, I'm pretty excited that you're uh, inviting me to talk about distributed assets because you know, I think that we're one of the leaders in investing in this space and we're kind of pioneers in trying to figure out different types of, you know, investment structures and investment approaches to, to crack this nut. Um, um, yeah. Interesting. So, just quickly, you mentioned you finance infrastructure. So, what can you give me a couple examples of what types of things you would consider to be infrastructure? Like, what are some general examples of what you've invested in in the last year, maybe? Yeah. So, um, we are pretty heavily focused on a few sectors. So, solar is one. Um, Energy storage is another. We're one of the, the largest uh, investors in the energy storage market in the United States. Um, anaerobic digestion, another waste-to-value uh, projects, uh, another key focus. You know, we also invest in energy efficiency, uh, water, uh, fuel cells, and in the transport sector. Um, when we say infrastructure, we mean you know the the actual equipment um, that offers these services. So. You know, we're, it's not the solar company like, say, uh, Solar City or, or now Tesla. It's the actual solar projects themselves. So you're looking at the panels that are sitting on the roofs of the project. That's what we mean by infrastructure. Interesting. And that's a is a really interesting way to go about that thesis of 
changing the resource revolution um, through the physical products that are doing that. Um, so like you said, we're here today to talk about distributed energy resources. So um, could you just give us a quick definition of how, of how Generate looks at distributed energy? Like what, you know, what range would you put that in? It's not just generate, but I think it's it's you know the entire sector. When we when we talk about distributed energy resources, or what's called you know commonly DER, we're looking at an entire paradigm shift. So traditionally, you had a power plant that created energy, and through the transmission lines, um, had a one-way system that transmitted the energy to the the user. So the um, you know the building or the house or the factory or whatever. So that's the the traditional um, energy infrastructure. When we talk about DER, the distributed you know paradigm, we're talking about um, back and forth flows of electricity. We're talking about um, not just one centralized energy source, but multiple energy sources, um, both big and small. So you might have you know one big you know, uh, natural gas fired fired um, power plant. You might have uh, a bunch you know 20, 50. Um, hundreds or even thousands of solar panels, you know, spread throughout a, um, you know, a, a town or a city. You might have um, energy storage uh, that's easily um, and ready to dispatch energy when those solar uh, arrays are not working. Um, and you're also, uh, you also have loads. So, you know, your house is able to communicate back and forth with these types of um energy producers so you know in other words um, that washer and dryer in your house can shut off when it doesn't uh, it doesn't need to power during you know high times of energy use to save money or your electric vehicle which is you know because it's actually a sink for power can not only you know take power during cheap times but can also dispatch power and put put power back onto the grid in times where the grid needs power. So it's this back, back and forth kind of flow of information and flow of electricity that integrates together to balance and create the most efficient you know, use of both the um, resources and the uses. Yeah, so when we're talking about distributed energy, we're really talking about not necessarily the scale or the size of the project. It's not just a solar panel in your house or a big solar field somewhere else. It's really about how energy flows in and out of, of that project and how it's, it's much different from how we think about traditional utility scale power. Um, you know, just being a one-way line power plant out to, out to the world instead. Cool. So I'm glad that we kind of set the stage there. And, and that's, I think, really important because I've been doing a little bit of research into this and, and within distributed energy, what I think is so interesting is, is the growth that's been happening. So according to Green Tech Media, actually, distributed energy companies have tripled in value in North America and Europe since 2010 and hitting $1 billion in investment in 2016. Um, so where is the, the huge interest in distributed energy coming from? Like what's, what's driving this big investment push? Yeah, I mean, um, when you look at 
all the trends in energy, not only just, you know, in North America, but in Europe, in, in developing countries, the push and the growth is in distributed energy. So, um, for example, um, you're seeing, like, new types of microgrid technologies. You're seeing new, you know, smart metering, software and hardware, and, you know, everything to do with electric vehicles is all pushing towards this distributed paradigm. Um especially the growth in renewable energy. You know, renewable energy in itself is a distributed generation um, source. So you're not having these large, you know, 50 gigawatt power plants. You have these um, uh, solar panels that are on the kilowatt uh, scale. Um, so that in itself is a complete, you know, paradigm shift as the renewable energy Know, specifically, you know, more wind and, and solar and energy storage come online. Um, you know, just throwing some, some numbers out there, uh, Navigant came out with a study that showed that distributed energy resources um, are actually expected to grow from 109 gigawatts to 335 gigawatts in, in 2024. And McKinsey came out with a study uh, this year that stated that in the next five years, um, DER in the U.S. Is, is stated to grow uh, three times. Um, and I think, you know, when you look at how um, energy, or not, sorry, not energy, but rather other technologies have um, been adopted, they typically follow this, like, F-curve, F what people call the F-curve. So, you know, look at smartphones and Blu-ray technology, for example. They're slow to adopt in the first, you know, five years or so, but it reaches its tipping point and it quickly um, it creates this uh, rapid deployment and adoption in the following you know, five to ten years. Um, and that's exactly what we're seeing in, in um, distributed generation. It's been you know, kind of slow to, to take pace in the past five years, but we are hitting that tipping point right now where you're seeing, you know, as you're saying, that $1 billion investment in 2016, um, that's all an indication of this, like, S-curve S adoption rate, you know, picking up and hitting that tipping point. So when it comes to, you know, where is this interest coming from, it's, it's that rapid, you know, growth. And, and, and from that, there's a lot of money to be made. You know, someone's got to uh, fund all of this infrastructure that needs to happen, both from the infrastructure of, of generation. So who's funding those solar panels? Who's funding those energy storage units and, and waste uh, distributed waste units? It's, it's going to be, you know, investors. It's going to be utilities. It's going to be people like you and I or, or um, you know, through different types of investment vehicles like um, – uh, like co-powers, um, you know, green bonds. Um, yeah, there, there's just a lot of money to be made. And in fact, you know, back to that Navigant report that I was, I was referring to, um, they're stating it's actually $1.9 trillion over the next 10 years in DER. Um, wow. So yeah, a lot of money to be made here. Interesting. And and I think beyond the investment, do you, do you feel like any of the recent you know, policies like the Paris Agreement or concerns about climate change or any of these things are driving any of this investment? Or is it more just it's a great opportunity to take advantage of the market and and get in on the next wave of, of how we'll be developing power? Or is it a little bit of both within that? Yeah, I think it's, it's probably a little bit of both. Um, you know, uh, what happened in Paris is really important because it's showing that there is 
um, you know, global support for renewable energy and the renewable energy kind of, um, I guess, paradigm, you know, shift that needs to happen. But I think ultimately when, when you know, speaking as an investor, what we really look at is, um, you know, state policy because the reality of renewable energy in particular is, or energy, you know, in, in, in particular, it comes to um, state policy. So it's state incentives, it's state permitting regulations, um, it's uh, state, um, you know, market drivers, it's uh, it's power prices that are more, you know, regional. So I think it's, it's a bit of both, you know, that regional kind of, sh- that regional, um, I guess, shift, you know, tends to move in the direction of, of federal policy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, but yeah, so I, I think it's a little bit of both. Interesting. Yeah. So it's a little, a little bit of everything as, as, as many of these decisions are. Um, but interesting yeah, to hear that easy. it's very much the local, at least in the U S and the environment that you're working in, it's often, you know, the local policies that, that really impact the power of purchasing and, and different pieces that make it a tangible investment or not. Um, and I think, and I think that is actually much of the story around the rest of the world as well. Is 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 the devil's in the details, um, always. But it, yeah, it, exactly. And I, oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. But uh, but yeah, I I think that that's often the misconception is that people think that okay, well, if you do a federal policy, you know, the, the everything will be okay. Um, but it's it's not the case. It's you have to take federal policy and adopt it to you know, the regional context in order for it to actually um, work and in order for, for it to actually happen. And I don't think that the United States is is um, any exception here. I think you look at, you know, a country like Africa and, you know, every region is going to have different energy issues, whether that's reliability, whether that's, you know, cost, whether that's um, just, you know, what is that local resource that they can tap into. Um, I think it's going to be different. Like you can have water, you might have a lot of natural gas you might have a lot of solar you might have a lot of waste you know it's going to be um it's going to be different uh in every every region yeah and i mean that makes that it makes so much sense because it is i guess the essence of distributed energy is that it is something that can be adapted to different regions um and that's potentially where kind of the growth is coming from is that it's not a one-size-fits-all type of solution it's it's very very fluid I would say um so speaking of kind of the difference with with what is a one-size-fits-all solution how are investing in distributed resources different from utility scale investment like you know a lot of people have mentioned to me lately that the model is just shifting it's kind of a whole new game within finance but what does that what does that actually mean like what is the difference between you know building a big coal plant that only has one way flow of electrons to you know, building all these other resources that you've been talking about. Yeah, it's it's definitely a when I talk about this paradigm shift of of um, you know the energy system, it's definitely a paradigm shift in the energy investing system as well. So, um, it, you know, distributed energy is by nature small scale, and that's in itself a problem. So. You know, if you're a conventional uh, investor in, you know, natural gas power plants or, or coal or oil, you know, it's going to be these large projects that have these um, 
contracted cash flows for, for you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Um, and that's just not going to be the case in the future. So, you know, with, with small sizes, you're going to have a lot more assets to manage. Your risk profile is just going to be a lot different. You know, with this kind of distributed infrastructure, um, the business models are going to be different. So you're going to have, you know, a energy storage um, making money in a completely different way than, than solar, for example. Um, like digging into that example further, you know, solar, you might, you know, sign a, a power purchase agreement that gives you, let's say, um, eight cents per kilowatt hour of, of electricity. But energy storage, you might you might revert to an energy savings model where um, they're dispatching based on time of day use and uh, really looking at the uh, making money from reducing demand charges um, or energy efficiency, where again it's, it's going to be on a savings model, or even um, you know a waste, which is looking at a uh, tip fee model and looking at how much waste is coming in, or water, where you're looking at you know the gallons of, of of, of water produced um, or cleaned associated with uh, the power that you're offsetting from their their um, uh, electricity bill. So, you know, this, this new paradigm just requires a lot more innovation and, and deeper understanding of, of different business models and how those actual cash flows work. Um, and because you have, you know, these smaller resources, you know, underwriting the risk and uh, deploying like large amounts of capital, that efficiency that's gained when you, you know, invest in uh, a $200 million power plant versus a, you know, $1 million energy storage unit is completely different. The, the, the skill and underwriting, the time it takes to package that, um, you know, investment is, is just different. And so, um, you know, how you approach the entire investment process is going to be is going to be different. It's going to require a lot more standardization, and that's where you know you see these kind of innovations in um, financing is happening. So you, you're seeing a lot more like portfolio approaches to investing. Um, so you're going to bundle you know all of these energy storage units together, um, or you know you see that with with solar and like what Solar City and Sun Edison did, where they they bundle many of their solar units together. You know, collateralize it and, and put it onto um, the debt markets. Uh, that's how they're able to cut down their cost of financing. You know, the when you look at these um, technologies like solar, the, there's no innovation that's happening in solar technologies. It's really you know they're using technology that's been around for you know eight, ten years. Um, what's driving down the cost is is um, you know fi- financiers like ourselves figuring out how to underwrite uh, and, and get get our financing costs cheaper. Interesting. So I think, I mean, what we're hearing is that it's, it's really a new, a new game. It's not you're investing in one power plant. You're actually investing in a bundle of smaller power generation or storage type devices. But where do you think kind of the disconnect would come from for somebody, let's say, who used to invest in, in large-scale power plants? Like, where are the challenges that that arise when, when you're trying to shift the mindset between, okay, we used to invest in these one giant project, and now we're looking at this portfolio system? Like, what's the, um, kind of what's the discrepancy between those two that, that make it harder for, for traditional kind of institutional investors to, 
to make the jump towards distributed resources? Well, it really comes down into, I, th I think first, like I was saying, the, um, they need to get used to the business model. So yeah, it's, it's um, you have one asset versus a hundred smaller assets. The hundred smaller assets are going to um, potentially have uh, different ways of, of, of doing business. Um, so you have to get comfortable with how they get their cash flows. Um, so I think that's, that's one area. I think the other area is uh, the level of detail that needs to be put in to analyze, you know, the risk factors of every individual kind of situation is, is time-consuming. It takes a lot of resources. It takes human resources. It takes legal resources. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. it, it just takes more time and effort to do. And so investors, you know, aren't as, as readily um, eager to dig into that. Um, but the reality is that they need to because that's where the money can be made. Uh, these large, lucrative power purchase agreements for, you know, coal plants, natural gas plants are just, they're not as abundant as they were before. Um, when you look at, for example, in, in New York State, and you're looking, you know, it, it, this trend is happening all across the world, where um, the states or that region, rather than, um, the, or that utility in the region, rather than building a new gas-fired power plant, they're opting for uh, uh, installing renewable energy, or, or they're opting to install energy storage instead. So they're using, rather than building more, they're just using their existing energy infrastructure more effectively. Hmm. Um, so, you know, if you don't, it. if you, yeah, so if you're, if you're not, you know, well-versed in how that kind of paradigm shift is happening, then you're going to lose out on, on a lot of uh, opportunities in this. You know, like I was saying, this is a potentially a $1.9 trillion market opportunity in the next 10 years. If you don't understand it, you know, you're not going to be a part of it. Yeah, that's a good point. It's easy to lose on this one. Um, but it's a matter of kind of studying up and understanding the new technology. Um, which kind of leads me really well into one of the last couple of questions we had here is that, you know, really often I'm starting to hear this argument over if we need new technology or if we actually just need to deploy the technology we have. And you actually just mentioned this and that, you know, solar is the solar technology today that's booming is eight to 10 years old. It's getting cheaper because of financing and in different financing models. So within the idea of an energy transition, how do we, how do we start making capital flow in the right direction? Like how, how do you actually start leveraging renewables to make, you know, clean energy investments more viable and, and to have more people putting capital, I guess, into that, into that sector in order to transition more quickly off of fossil fuels and, you know, other climate harming types of types of generation. Yeah. And I think, um, uh, it, I mean, it, it depends on, on where you're looking at it, but I, I think you're right. I think a lot of people, when they think of renewable, this renewable energy or clean energy transition, they really think about technology when in, in reality, that's, that's, um, it's not the full story, right? Technology is very much, you know, is important, but there's a lot of enablers that also need to be uh, there in order for that transition to happen. And so I think of those enablers as 
um, fourfold. There's technology, there's um, you know policy, there's the financial market, and then there's you know society. That's kind of how I, I see it. Um, now to more to think about like how do we get more investments flowing into clean energy, which is you know one of those enablers to, to wide adoption. Um, I think there's, there's probably two two key kind of um, wedges for change. I think the the first one is is regulation on how uh, these projects are um, funded. So there's a lot of regulatory structures that need to change that right now are just not friendly for distributed energy. Um, so this can be like permitting, this can be tariffs, electricity tariff structures, can be a incentives that DER may qualify for or not qualify for. Um, you know, in the U.S., which is where we spend a lot of our time, but I know this trend is, is um, everywhere, um, you're seeing the states that have the most forward-thinking um, regulatory structures are the ones, without surprise, are the ones that are the leaders in DER. Mm-hmm. For example, you know, New York is completely overhauling their um, their uh, tariff structure or how they how the um, state regulates and um, awards contracts and compensation for their power producers, so that it's more friendly for small generators, and that um, you know traditionally large power producers that could only participate in capacity markets are now able to. Uh, you're, they're now more able to open up that compensation structure to, um, you know, smaller you know, energy storage units or smaller, smaller scale um, electricity generators. And so, you know, as as the world um, as the world's you know, regulation shifts and adopts to to this new kind of paradigm, you're going to see a, a lot more renewable energy come online um and a lot of this regulation is is the first of its kind like what new york is doing uh if anyone wants to read into it it's called new york rev um rethinking the energy vision is what rev stands for um it's going to be adopted across the u.s it's just seen as the kind of um the path maker so to speak um now i think the second kind of answer to how do we get more investment flowing to clean energy is um making sure that there's a precedence for it. So, you know, what I love about Generate Capital is that we're, we're proving that investors can actually make money from DER. And, you know, I think a lot of investors, because I was saying it's, it's difficult to, you know, underwrite and account for the risk of these highly um, distributed assets. Uh, I think investors just don't get it. They're, they're scared. They're kind of sitting on the sidelines and they're waiting for other people to step in and, and show how it's done. And, um, you know, that's what we're doing. Um, so I think that as, you know, more, more, more investment firms like ourselves, um, as more, you know, green banks start to pop up, like the New York Green Bank is one of them, um, that are able to like accurately underwrite these risks and come up with like new kind of financial structures. I think as we see that, there's going to be more and more people who are, that they'll participate in it. They'll have the higher volume, um, uh, investment set that you'll see that is needed in order to this kind of transition happens. 
Um, and then, you know, also with that, I said before, there's a lot of like financial kind of innovation that's happening too. So um, this whole like standardization and portfolio financing is going to be key. This kind of financial you know, innovation in yield codes and securitization was a pretty big step in opening up um, the solar market. Mm. And so we need to we need to see that kind of approach coming in on other types of distributed assets as well. So whether that's you know electric vehicles, energy storage, um, micro micro water, um, you know micro waste, that kind of uh, portfolio approach, bundling approach, yield um, co approach is going to be you know pretty key to unlocking the opportunity. Amazing. Well, I think it's a really exciting space to watch and and that it'll be really interesting to see where you all go with generating capital and and kind of how far this market moves and how quickly um, it goes through this escrow process um, and everything else. So um, thank you so much for joining us today, Janice. Is there anything else you wanted to share uh, with the under nerds of the world um, about about this type of investing? Uh, well, I think that, you know, energy finance is a really – a uh, cool place to make a career and there's a lot of innovation that's happening in this space so you know if you're if you're into finance but you want to you know see that energy transition happen um i think you know it's, it's a great place to to look and, and work and make a career out of a lot of promising opportunities i think that's some awesome advice for people who are who are figuring out what the what the next step is as we know many of our our people are (laughs) so thank you so much for joining us Janice um it was really fun to talk to you about what you do on a day-to-day basis instead of what I do on a day-to-day basis um and so really looking forward to seeing you in Mexico in June for the International Student Energy Summit if all of you haven't figured out how to get there please do it's going to be the biggest and best one yet um so Anyways, thank you so much again, Janice, for joining us and in, in departing your wisdom. Um, and we'll leave it at that. See you soon. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. That brings to a close another month's episode of Energy Voices. You can listen to previous episodes or subscribe to all future episodes via iTunes or your favorite podcast service. You can also visit soundcloud.com slash energy voices to stream or download episodes long term. Energy Voices is produced by Sean Collins with production assistance this month from Meredith Adler.